What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is our latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved with Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. Just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as a mailbag question. Or wait for around 9 a.m. Pacific Time Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can get involved with Mailbag Monday by emailing the show at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That address one more time for you is LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. We got a overflowing mailbag this week. So if your question is not in the show, I have not given up on you. I just, I'm going to do a second mailbag later this week. We got uh, some fun stuff coming up. I'm doing an interview with Brandon Sprague of 1080 The Fan tomorrow, Portland radio host, Brandon Sprague, and, and friend of the pod, friend of friend of the host too. Um, he's going to be on the show and that is going to post on Wednesday, but Thursday morning following the Blazers game at Sacramento against the Kings, assuming that happens as scheduled, we will have a second mailbag Thursday morning. So if you do not hear your question in the show, it doesn't mean that I'm deeming your question unworthy or that I've given up on you. It just means that it was a less time-sensitive question and I'm pushing it back. Uh, I love these mailbag episodes. I don't want to start dropping questions, but there are time constraints here. I'm trying to keep these, uh, you know, 40 minutes max and I could go long on stuff. I'm a little long-winded. In fact, this intro has already taken two minutes of your time, so let's get into it. The first question of the day comes from... Blake Bataro at Ball Don't Lie 77 on Twitter, who asks, with the career year that CJ is having so far, is it enough to change the narrative of being of it being worth trading him for Harden? Or is he providing enough that it's almost a wash? If it's still worth it, is now the time with his value being so high? Blake, you are not alone in asking this question. Dr. J asks, if CJ continues near this productivity play till the trade deadline, do you think he is good enough long term or is it time to sell high and maybe you use this to get a Harden without having to give up as much? Lewis Olenek at Lewis R.S. Olenek asks, for all the CJ for Harden talk, I feel like the former's play has simply been better than the latter so far this season. I know there are a lot of doubts about whether he can sustain that for a whole season, but if he can, is the Blazers' 2021 ceiling as high as it would be with Harden long-term, or is it time to sell high and maybe you can use this to get a Harden without having to give up as much? Everyone, first of all, is using the phrase a Harden, which I really like. Um, So props to all y'all for calling him a Harden. Uh, But I I do think this is... um, I think we've inter- we've entered a very interesting territory. If you're regular listening to this podcast, uh, I have I'm pro. I was pro trading for James Harden just because I thought it, it's it is such a talent upgrade and sort of the level that you need to get to win an NBA title. You kind of have to try to make that that push. But Harden is still fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But CJ over the first ten games of the season has been comparable he's not as good as Harden he's not as dominant he's not as he doesn't command as much defensive respect he's but he's he's shooting better from three I mean Harden's leading the NBA in assists and assist percentage he's just a dominant offensive force so 
I don't want to disparage him, and I'm not saying that CJ is better than James Harden, or even really in the same same level as him. He's a, he's a certainly a tier or two below Harden, just in terms of of career production, and current production. But CJ has been fan freaking tastic, which does make me kind of rethink this whole trade for James Harden. Here, here's my reasoning. Uh, I'm not going to parse through all of your questions. I'm just going to try to answer them all in one one fell swoop. Here is that basically. The argument for trading for James Harden was that you get this ma- you get this massive talent upgrade, and of course you have to sacrifice some chemistry in order to do that. But if the production level is about even, the what you would sacrifice in sort of chemistry and familiarity and 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 other assets you might have to give up to get James Harden becomes a lot less worth it. I at this stage am am not inclined. I am not inclined to sell high on CJ McCollum. I'm recording this right after he hit a game ceiling jumper to beat the Toronto Raptors in a in a in one of the Blazers' best wins of the season. It's in the running with one other game, so it's certainly in the top two. It's either this or the Lakers game, depending on your opinion. But after seeing CJ drive down in transition, spin through the legs, pull up from 15, just an insanely difficult shot with the clock ticking under 10 seconds to put the Blazers up one. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but he just it he's he is just playing at a level that he's never been at, and he has been arguably the Blazer, Blazers' best player through ten games. So I I am not a I'm not a sell high. I'm a I'm a bank on the Blazers have sort of built this wonderful chemistry, built this this duo, and if the production is relatively equal to what James Harden is, and, and really is right there, if you look at the numbers across the board, Harden is is not shooting as well, but he's, he, he's uh, putting up more assists, and CJ's edging him and scoring as as it is right now. And so if, if the production is about the same, I say you ride with CJ because you, why mess up a good thing? Hope that answers your questions, Blake, Dr. J, and Lewis. We've got a couple other CJ-centric questions here in the first segment. Adam Nakamura at AdamNaka28 asks, Is this the year we, all caps, have two all-stars, or is it too early to start counting CJ in? Right now, it's too early. Um, I was going to put a, like, when I was prepping for the show before the game started, uh, I was going to put a moratorium on CJ All-Star questions, like, let's everyone chill, let's let's check back at game 20. Uh, but then he went and had this, another just fantastic game. The dude is just bawling, out of control. Here's the thing. The Trailblazers aren't getting two All-Stars unless they're good. They're not going to get two All-Stars by being mediocre. If they lose to the Raptors, which they damn near did, this is a di- very different flavor of podcast because uh, they looked bad for a lot of this game. It was, it was a really good win because they looked bad, let me be clear. Uh, just as a news thing, we should get this out front. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic played nine minutes, had a quad injury, did not return. The Blazers went small and won this game more on that in the future. But and the future of this very podcast. But CJ's just been fantastic, and the Blazers are not going to... He can be fantastic and not make the All-Star game. I mean, ask Bradley Beal, ask ask uh, Devin Booker. You can have really great years on, on on kind of mediocre teams and not not get to the All-Star game, much less get two players in the All-Star team. Dame's kind of a lock because the All-Star game is a fraternity, but CJ's... CJ's candidacy is real, it's serious, and if he plays at this level, he is an All-Star, period. Next question comes from Luke, who asks, Firstly, and I know this is jumping to conclusions with the season being early and all, but 
Would some sort of trade involving CJ be more feasible now that Gary Trent Jr. and Ant have been looking really good and you can fill in for him and Rodney could slide down to the two if necessary? Hell no. Uh, you don't... Depends on who's out there. But unless that person is an elite... Unless it's like Kawhi Leonard or, and I'm going to say a name none of you want to hear, or Paul George, if it's like a 6'9 defensive versatile wing, you don't consider it really right now. Um, the downgrade, the idea that you could make a sort of single trade for CJ that would upgrade your um, your team enough that you could play Gary Trent Jr. major minutes and still be a championship contender seems a little bit wild to me. Um, I think... I think we're getting a little, you know, I think we're getting a little out front of our skis. CJ's playing really well. It's good to have good players on your team. Just stick with it. Luke asks a second question, which is actually why I really included it here, is, and uh, you may have answered this before, before I was a listener, but Luke asks, who's your favorite, all-time favorite NBA player? And for one's too hard, maybe a top three. So my favorite basketball players of all time are all Carolina guys. Uh, Ed Cota, Anton Jameson. Kendall Marshall, really Julius Peppers, if you're pressing me. I loved him as a Carolina basketball player. Um, yeah, he played hoops, y'all. But I didn't really grow up as an NBA fan because I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it was such like a college basketball community. So I didn't really grow up, like I, I liked the NBA, but the the player who who uh, made me sort of really start to follow the NBA closely was Hakeem Olajuwon. I loved the, uh, the Rockets championship teams of the early 90s. Those were the middle 90s, rather. Um, I really loved Robert Ory. I really loved Sam Cassell, but I, but Hakeem was the guy who kind of got me hooked. So, so I think Hakeem is probably my all time favorite NBA player, but there's, there's certainly others. I love, I love, I love skilled bigs. That's always been kind of, kind of my, uh, my prototype. So Duncan and Dirk and Garnett, you know, big, big skilled guys have always been players I've rooted for, but I've never, I've always kind of been an NBA agnostic. I've never, I kind of tried to fake the funk and adopt the trailblazers when I moved here, but it, ne- it never really like stuck in a way. And my, and I loved, uh, B-Roy and, uh, Zach Randolph. Zach Randolph's one of my all-time favorite NBA players, him and Gasol, um, Marcus are two of my absolute favorites. So guys like that, I don't think, I don't think I have like a, a clear cut one, but Hakeem was the guy who got me hooked. So I think Hakeem is the answer to your question, but I don't really have a good concise answer, as you can tell by my 90 seconds of rambling there. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell y'all about Bet Online. Look, the NBA season is here. We got, until we don't, we got games every single night. So it's time to get in on the action. Get to your online sports book and make some wagers on some games. You don't have to bet on the outcomes. There's a million little prop bets for every single game. You like you like a couple favorites. Find a parlay for the night. Have you know have a little fun or at least test it out. See if see if you enjoyed it and adds it enhances your viewing experience. And if that's something you want to take part in, there's only one place that we here at the Locked On Podcast Network trust, and one place that has you covered. That's BetOnline.ag. So you can sign up today at betonline.ag and you'll get a free account and with the promo code locked on you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Go ahead, get in on the action. Use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Betonline, your online sports book experts. All right. Let's keep it roll with Mailbag Monday. But first, shout out to my man, Dre Slaps. 
can find a link to all of Dre's work, his music, and his merch in the episode description for this very episode. Support local music, y'all. Appreciate you, Dre. This next question comes from Ben Sprouse, at Ben underscore Sprouse on Twitter, who asks, hypothetically, if Terry Stotts, friend of the pod, were to get fired this upcoming offseason, I have a hard time believing David Vanderpool, friend of the squad, wouldn't be in serious consideration for the vacancy. Do you agree? Yeah, DV's got to be the number one name on the list in terms of like people they would consider. Um, he's the guy Dame wants always wanted to be his coach but but there wasn't you know a head coaching spot he left to go get a raise he did you know did things that were right for his sort of professional situation he's certainly one of those guys who always seems to be getting interviews when there are coaching vacancies available although I don't think he got this round of coaching I'm not sure DV got interviews um but yeah, he's got to be on the list, right? Um, I don't think there's a ton of just like great candidates out there for coaches right now. Um, there's certainly people that I don't know that are good basketball coaches that are available. But in terms of sort of like big obvious names, um, there are people who are currently unemployed who you could say like, hey, th- this is a name you would call if you had a coaching vacancy. DV's got to be on the list. Ben also asks, how would DV differ from Stotts? I have no idea. I mean, I just, I don't know what he'd be like as a head coach. Um, I covered him when he coached summer league and they, they lost their first two games and didn't make, um, the summer league playoffs back, back when it was scheduled a little bit differently. So, um, that's my, that's my only exposure to him. So I, I, I just have no idea. Next question comes from also Mike who asks, The folks over at Blazers Uprise have blamed our poor form against the Warriors and Bulls on Stotts' inability to switch up his offensive defensive schemes. Among their most common criticisms are, we drop the big on virtually every pick and roll and almost never trap or hedge, allowing players like Steph to get clean looks and drop 60 on us. Our offense, and two, our offense consists almost solely of pick and roll, isolation plays, and jacking up contested threes with a little off-ball movement. Other media members seem to consider Stotts to be a good coach. I was wondering whether you've... whether you agreed with Blazers Uprise's criticisms about Stotts' coaching and to what extent you think his inability to adjust is responsible for our losses. So I I, I think this question is sort of pitting me up against people that I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not super familiar with Blazers Uprise. I did, I did look them up. It's a YouTube channel. I haven't checked out their stuff. So instead of maybe responding specifically to these complaints, I'll, I'd, I would just like to talk a little bit sort of about um, my views of what Terry Stotts has done this year. Uh, I think it'll touch on everything. I think it'll be enough thematically connected that it answers your question also, Mike. And if it doesn't, you you got my email address. Just hit me back and say, hey, you didn't do it right. And I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, just... Up front, the the Steph Curry thing, like the dude had 62. It wasn't like he had 34 and they didn't guard him very well. He had like a historically great night. And if you rewatch that game, he was cooking. He was cooking fools. Now, you could say maybe they should have double teamed him earlier and all these things. But I, I, I that's just seems like kind of an outlier performance that I'm ready to I'm ready just to totally ignore. Um, I know that. uh I know that there were some questions about why didn't the Blazers try some different things? They, they sent double teams at him and stuff. He just, he lit them up. That was a special night from a very special player. I'm willing to push that one to the side. I think there's other times we can criticize Terry Stotts and I'm, I'm going to do that here next, but I'm going to ignore that Warriors game um, because sometimes dudes just are on one and he was absolutely on one. Um, 
I, I really think, and I've said this before on the pod here, is that the, the biggest thing a coach does is decide who plays and when. Like, I think some of the issues with the offense, um, it starts, maybe doesn't, um, maybe he gives too much freedom to Dame to call plays, but it's also just kind of what Dame and CJ are comfortable with, and you kind of just have to roll with that in, as an NBA coach. It's not ideal. Like, it, it would be better if the Blazers had way more off-ball movement if the ball zipped around, but they don't have a bunch of plus passers on the team. It's not like Damon CJ can give the ball up and get it back. Melo and Gary Trent Jr. aren't giving the ball back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Melo makes some of the right plays, but it's not his instincts, right? Uh, so I think some of the isolation stuff and some of the pick-and-roll stuff is like Damian Lillard, the best player in franchise history, the is he, that is what he's comfortable with. Like he's basically said that he doesn't have a, a, a really high comfort level playing off the ball. And he thinks maybe that wouldn't be the best way to approach it. So I think some of it, some of the blame here does fall on, on the personnel, right? It, it's not all personnel related, but, but the biggest thing a coach does is, is not necessarily call plays. You can call a play and the players can ignore it, right? It'd be, it'd be better if they didn't, but that, that happens. And I think it happens where even if they don't ignore it, they run through the first action. It breaks off. Okay, screw it. Let's just run a pick and roll. But the, what, a, what a coach actually does is decide who's on the floor and when. And the thing where Terry Stotts has failed this season is a bunch of shitty lineups. So if the adjustment is, for me, like where Stotts has failed to adjust isn't like, oh, why do we run so many pick and rolls? Because that's what Dame wants to do. It's why are these dudes out on the court who are, who are a bad group together? Coming into the game against the uh, Toronto Raptors tonight, Damian Lillard, Gary Trent Jr., and CJ McCollum. I probably should have gone the other way, but Dame, CJ, Gary. have played 18 total minutes together across seven games that they were all available in. That's wild. This was the small ball trio that many of us thought the Blazers would try a whole bunch. And it's not just as simple as give Gary Carmelo Anthony's minutes, but try out this combination and find it, find out if it works. If Gary Trent Jr. is heading into free agency, find out if he can play next to his, the two best players on the franchise, right? Like find out if he's part of the core. Don't wait. He played a bunch against the Raptors, uh, Blazers went small and he and he got his minutes. He might have he, he might have nearly um I don't think he's gonna hit the sort of 18 minutes next to Damon CJ, but I believe he played the last nine and a half. So he played basically fifty percent of his minutes next to Damon CJ all come in this all came in this game. It was the first time he'd really had extended time because the Blazers went super small. Carmel Anthony just playing playing too much in general. That would be my other criticism of Stotts is just like you he was really good against the Raptors, incredibly clutch in the in the fourth quarter, but he is a defensive liability and it showed up early on in those games against the Raptors. Just he's he's he is he is not a really good instinctual defender and he is slow to he's just slow footed to rotate. And if the Blazers are playing this defense where they're a little more aggressive on the weak side trying to help out, you've got to scramble in rotations and that's not Carmelo's forte. Plus, Ennis Cantor offensive beast, giant person, very slow, needs to play with good defenders. When he was on the Blazers in the past, he played with good defenders, Chief and Mo. He started and he played next to Alfred Camino and Mo, and he was an effective player and he could play on a functional defense. If you put him on the court on a front line with Rodney Hood and, and, uh, and Carmelo Anthony, he's going to get freaking cooked. So the, for me, and I don't, I don't, I'm, 
I'm an X's and O's guy, like I'm a, I'm a basketball geek, but I'm not really sort of like critiquing like Stott should have run this type of flare screen and done this type of thing. Um, and I and I do think he's tried a bunch of stuff on defense and mostly it just doesn't it, it doesn't work. Like I don't think he I don't they drop a lot, a lot, a lot. But even when they don't drop on defense, I don't I think it it's, has failed sometimes. Um, and that has to be pinned on both him and and the players. But the thing that he screwed up and the thing that you could say, why not make these adjustments is just continually playing Mello and, Car- and Cantor together, not finding enough minutes for Gary Trent Jr. Specifically on the court with Damon CJ at the same time. And when things are obviously going in that direction, I think that's when, when you get frustrated, like the, the bulls lost last week, which seems like ages ago, which is kind of why I avoid game recaps. Cause you overreact to one bad game. And then a week later they look okay. Um, it's a results-based business, so it's okay to it's okay to say a loss is bad. But uh, just in general, it's like in that specific game, just too much mellow. They were they were blowing the lead in the second half. It's it, you just have to try something new. You can't play this guy twenty eight minutes. So my criticism of Stotts and his adjustments is mostly just like he's playing all these wonky ass lineups and he doesn't have to. Um, and his job is more than sort of like more than this sort of super technical how you go, how you guard a pick and roll and where the where the guy is on on like level of the screen or dropping on the screen and stuff we've talked about it in this podcast but like more than that and more than what they run on offense just just stop putting shitty combos out there that would be my criticism of stats and i think if um i'm not a guy banging the drum for harry giles when he has played i don't think he looks like this dude is going to save the franchise but um you with even without even if you don't think about Harry Giles, the Blazers probably have t- ten dudes who can play uh, if Nurk is healthy. So find a combination that works and five, five, find five man groupings that work and get rid of this mellow and canter business. Okay. This question was admittedly a few days old, so I think the Firestots crowd has died down, but the Blazers looked really bad against the Raptors, so I know that Firestots crowd was ready. They were ready to come back um, if, if they had lost this game against the Raptors, and and deservedly so. They looked terrible for the, for a lot of this game. They just, they absolutely stole it, um, and it's... Uh, it's maybe proof that overreacting to if Pascal Siakam scores at the end and that equals Stotts as a bad coach, and because Pascal Siakam didn't score at the end, Stotts is a good coach, is maybe not the best way to approach this. Uh, I think there's a bunch of fair criticisms, um, and I hope that the ones that I leveled, uh, you can at least uh, you know find holes to pick in or, or totally agree with, whatever you want to do. All right, let's come back in the third segment, though, and close out the show with more of your questions this Mailbag Monday. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. You already know rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And they've got everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks and it's all delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. You'll quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and you can choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And oh, those prices, y'all, that's the best part because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why Why pay twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write 
Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. We're still cruising through Mailbag Monday. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, on tomorrow's show, this you're going to be listening to this on Tuesday, so on Wednesday's show, Brandon Sprague of 1080 The Fan is going to join me, a local radio host here in Portland, Oregon. My friend, hopefully your friend soon too, he's going to join me on the show. Be sure to check back Wednesday for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. But like I said, let's let's finish up Mailbag Monday and then we'll figure it out from there. What we'll figure out is I'll talk to, I'm going to call Brandon tomorrow and we'll, we'll have a show for you. Next question comes from Lewis Olenek at Lewis R.S. Olenek on Twitter, who asks, at 28 and still very light on his feet for his size, is Ennis Cantor's defense something he can still conceivably improve on or his deficiencies simply instinctual and or unteachable? Yeah, he's not going to get better on defense. Uh, I mentioned this in the previous part where I was ranting about the bad lineups Terry Stotts insists on playing, is that he... he if you let him play with other more mobile defenders behind him, then he can just like kind of be big and take up space and his inability to cover, um, to just move his feet quick, like laterally and, and cover guys like that as is not a big of a problem. But in addition, like he's, it's not, all, it's not all just that he's slow. Cause like you said, he has good feet on offense. It's just, he's ground bound and he doesn't have super long arms for his size. So he's just like, he's not a shot blocker. He's not a steals guy. Um, he's an elite offensive player who with the right defenders around him can be effective, but um, he's, he is who he is. Next question comes from Colin in Seattle who asks, One, in a recent game, Derek Jones Jr. was flagrant fouled on a made dunk. It was the first time I could recall seeing a flagrant foul on a made field goal. Jones Jr. went to the free throw line, and if I understood, recall correctly, Jordan Kent said that Jones will get two shots to make one, and he made the first and walked off to the line walked off the line and Blazers took possession on the side. So had Jones missed the free throw, would he have been given another chance, a second free throw? Obviously, he had a missed field goal attempt, so he'd get two free throws uh, whether he made the first attempt or not. But I'm not sure about the rule on a made field goal, and I couldn't find it when I searched online. So what exactly is the rule on a made field goal? Similarly, if someone is flagrant found on a missed three-point field goal, how many free throws would they get? What about the same thing, but they made the three-point field goal? So uh, maybe got a little wordy there. Could have added, I could have added that down. That one's on me, Colin. But uh, basically... Uh, two to make one or three to make two comes up on a on only in the flagrant foul situations on a made field goal. Uh, the or excuse me, two to make one only comes up on a uh, on a uh, made field goal on a flagrant foul. Uh, it, it's pretty rare. You're not gonna. You probably won't see it again, but it comes up every so often. However, there used to be back in the day. Um, three to make two and two to make one until uh, I think it's like the early eighties, maybe the, the beginning of the 81 season, my beginning of the 80 season. I know it's like right around when magic and, and bird joined the league. Uh, but they used to get, if you got fouled instead of, uh, to, and fouled in a missed shot, instead of making, getting two free throws, you'd get uh, three to make two. Uh, I'm glad they got rid of it. The league needs mess, less free throws, but yeah, made field goal and a flagrant fouls. Why he got two, he got two to make one. Colin's next question is, 
A couple of times, Dame will be fouled right before slash as he's shooting, but he won't be given free throws. Lamar will often complain that he should be given free throws. I thought I've heard him say Dame was already in the gather, or Dame released beneath the defensive box. Assuming I heard correctly, what does he mean by those two phrases? So in the gather means Dame is like in the motion of shooting. Uh, Dame really kind of, he's in he's really good at getting in the gray area of where that is. Um, he's not exactly James Harden level at it, but he's really, really good at it. Um, and the idea is that if you have picked up your dribble, ceased your dribble and you are moving in the upward motion you've gathered the ball and you're moving towards a shot if you get fouled after you've picked up your dribble and you and you continue through that that should be a shooting foul but if you um if you have to sort of change your motion or you put the ball back down or you or your foot comes down uh, you're no longer in the gather and you don't get um and and it wouldn't be a uh a shooting foul. Dame's really good at kind of getting guys in that sort of getting refs to have to make the decision in the gray area whether he's he's sort of in the motion or not. Uh, beneath the defensive box is if uh, you're there's hash marks uh, midway through the lane and if he's below that, uh, the rules about charges and the rules about uh, shooting fouls change a little bit differently. So basically, it's just where he is on the court. If he's close enough towards the basket and he's and he's uh, beneath that defensive box then the shooting foul it should be a shooting foul as he if he is attempting to go up it is he's close enough towards the rim that it should be a shooting foul um again it's a gray area that dame's really good at exploiting next question comes from plebe in portland it's at malnati on twitter who asks how does losing zach collins impact the big rotation as much as you are attuned to matchups i imagine stats would have played lineups with more by now yeah i just did a whole rant on matchups right um this is my thing plebe from portland you know how i get down um the big rotation is going to be nurk and ennis Cantor. and as you saw tonight harry giles played five minutes in a game where the blazers had one center for the final 39 minutes i don't think he's a guy that stotts wants to play um he you know, he hasn't been bad. I even thought he had a, a couple positive moments um, in this game, but um, in his brief brief cameo, but Stotts just, he's not a guy Stotts trusts right now. And it's not like he's coming and set the world on fire where you're like, yo, he has to, has to, has to, has to play. It's just like, he's probably functional and can play. He probably, he probably could be more effective than just five minutes, uh, but it's not something Terry's comfortable with. And he's a dude who coaches on comfort. So I think it could be, um, it'll be Nurk, it'll be Cantor. And if they go a little bit deeper, it could be Robert Covington at the five. He played a bunch of small ball five or sort of back line. Um, you could argue Mello was playing the five, but I would say it was Covington. Um, uh, back line, uh, rim protection type of weak side defender. And I think Covington's really good in that role. Um, it's it's not going to be Giles though. Next question comes from Jess Bielman at Rev Dribbles. Rev. Dr. Beals, Reverend Dr. Beals, that's it, because your name's Bealman, at Reverend Dr. Beals on Twitter, who asks, Seth Curry didn't like his time with the Blazers. I imagine it was role, place in the offense, etc. Thinking of Gary Trent Jr., is it just tough to develop a player being a third guard on a team given the primacy of Damon CJ? Do you know when we will start hearing similar grumblings? I don't think we heard similar grumblings from Seth Curry, quite frankly. Um, I think you've heard that from me. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was publicly reported. I think this was not like it, not like it's breaking news or whatever. It's just, it's something that I noticed being around Seth Curry that I don't think he enjoyed his time here. And I, I I've said it on the pod a bunch of times. Um, but I don't think that that was like a well-known thing or even like a thing that Seth Curry went public with, or even a thing that Seth Curry like s said to me, it was more like sort of the vibe you get from being in the locker room and talking to guys. It's like, Oh, you seem like you're a little frustrated with, um, with your situation that's going on. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for not even just guards, but like anyone else who's like an offensive player wants to be part of the offense. Damon CJ demand the ball a lot with the way the the offense works now. Like Carmelo gets a a boatload of touches. Um, Cantor's getting a handful of post-ups every now and then. They're running pick and rolls and Nurks gets touches. Like it's just, particularly Gary Trent Jr., I don't think they found a way to put him on the court where he can be a good complementary part. And I think he's kind of, um, and this was another question from, Forgive me, I don't have, uh, I don't have your handle in front of me because you sent it to Locked On Blazers and not at Mike G Rich on Twitter. But if someone else asked specifically, like Gary Trent Jr. is, uh, is kind of seems like he's rushing his shots, and I think that's what it is. It's like he doesn't know where he's going to get his shots in the offense, and so he's every time he gets it, he's putting it up because he knows if it goes into Mellow or, or CJ keeps it, he's not going to get a chance to do what he does. And the thing he does best is shoot it, so he's trying to shoot it a bunch. But yeah, I think. I think Damon CJ make it hard for guys to sort of get, um, you know, to be high usage guys. It's just, it's just the, it's just the the truth of it. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, I really wanted to think of a cool hypothetical basketball question that both makes me seem smart and funny. Unfortunately, you said something about Chapel Hill, and now all I can think about is whether or not you were old enough to see Ben Folds Five live back in the day. So yeah, I'm a Chapel Hill native, grew up there, lived there until. 2006 fall of 2006 when i moved here uh, i was not old enough to see ben folds five live uh they ben folds like went to the other high school in town so um and he was uh you know he was a big deal when in chapel hill he was our big local they were our big local band and he was kind of a big local celebrity so you know references you would make in the songs you'd say oh yeah that's from that's from brick um that's kind of a heavy song. So Matt, if you know that one, apologies for bringing it up, but, um, it's no, I never saw him. I think they broke up by like 2000 and I was 12. Um, so I, I wasn't going to live concerts yet. And then they came back like in 2009 or 10 or something. And I already lived here. And so, um, I didn't never saw Ben Folds five live, but yeah, shout out to Chapel Hill legends. Next question comes from family twine at family twine on Twitter who asks, have the Blazers mentioned any specific areas of focus on the defensive end, or is it still chemistry, trust, and communication issues? I, I kind of don't understand the implications of this question, so I don't I don't exactly know how to answer it. Is is the question like specifics areas of focus? Is it that the Blazers haven't mentioned it publicly to the press? So we don't know what they're trying to do, or that they don't have a plan, is and that they're just trying to sort of communicate their way out i mean what they're trying to do um a little bit more is they're trying like why they're being more aggressive on the weak side and by that is like what you'll see is when the ball's on one side of the court they're bringing defenders all the way over to the paint is they're trying to uh they are trying to limit driving limit driving lanes limit guys uh beating beating defenders off the dribble without help being there they're trying to load up so players see help and they have to they have to sort of you know um give up the ball and then have everyone rotate and follow the ball um they're not very good at that they're not very good at keeping the ball in front of them they haven't been very good on the weak side they've been terrible in transition but um uh like i don't understand i I guess i just don't specific areas of focus like i they're they're just trying to keep the ball out of the paint and trying to contest three pointers they've done a bad job at that and some of that is um some of those issues are are communication based i think their communication is poor and so their rotations are poor on the defensive end next question comes from ian 
Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter who asks, do we see a Cantor Nurk lineup at all this year like we did two seasons ago at Brooklyn and which team is it most likely to come against? I hope we don't see it. That's a terrible pairing. Um, most likely to come against uh, the Lakers? I don't even think that. Maybe Indiana later this week? I don't think that either. Um, I hope it doesn't happen. We don't need two. They don't need two centers. They could use another power forward. They don't need two centers, though. Uh, Logan Gillis asked our next question, the final question of the show, which is, what's more exciting, a Derek Jones Jr. sky hammer dunk off a crispy alley-oop pass or the rare occasion when Nurk goes hard to the basket rather than overcomplicating things. So more exciting is definitely the sky hammer dunk off a crispy alley-oop pass, but more like fulfilling, more uh, satisfying is when Nurk like gathers himself, remembers that he's 300 pounds and finishes like an easy bucket inside with power. That is just, it's a much more gratifying play. You're reminded that people can succeed if they truly believe in themselves and remember that they weigh nearly 300 pounds. So that was the final question of the show, but there's still a quick call to action here. Uh, Listener Zachary, who lives in Dallas, Texas, reached out to me and is trying to get together a Blazers watch club. And while I would I would like to say this right now, don't you MFers get together and watch a Blazer game under the current circumstances that the world is in. But should that change and the season still be going on? Zachary, who lives in Dallas, Texas, wants to wants me to put out a call for Blazer fans in the area to get together and and get a supporter club going so they can have a place that would, uh, you know, like minded NBA fans get together and watch the game. I think that sounds like a great idea. So if you are from the Dallas area, if you're from the Metroplex, hit hit me up at locked on blazers pod at gmail.com i will link you up with zachary and you guys can get a supporters club going when it is safe sorry for yelling like i said brandon sprague joining the show on wednesday come back for that one it's it's double mailbag week uh if your question was not in the show and you're feeling a little left out don't worry just come back thursday we'll have that one thursday for you any question that wasn't in the show i'm, I'm getting to them all this week it's just we already are going long here we're running up against 40 minutes so we'll get to those like i said if you didn't hear your question in the show check back thursday for the second edition of mailbag it'll be mailbag thursday doesn't sound as good but it, it'll feel just the same tell your friends about this podcast they can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts just search locked on blazers will be there waiting for you appreciate you listening Talk to you soon.